the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are rocking and rolling, I think, together. I was a little unsure last night when they asked me if I was ready to rock and roll when um, when uh, Jack Windsor and I recorded our uh, podcast, our latest podcast, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. I wasn't sure if I was ready to roll, just the rock part. This morning, rocking and rolling already. That's what Hewitt does for me. It gets me going. Uh, sometimes not in a great way, sometimes in a great way. It gets me fired up, gets me rocking and rolling. That I can say. It's uh, it's a Tuesday. It's the 17th morning of the first month year of our Lord, 2023. You know what that means. It's a curse in our day today. Yeah. I, uh, I can most certainly... Dig that. Uh, Kersenow will be with us in an hour at about 10.10. He's got a lot of thoughts on the document scandal that continues to grow and grow. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I'm sure you are as well. But coming up first, in a half an hour, we're going to talk to a relative newcomer to uh, the program, uh, just in terms of being a guest. Josh Brown is a Columbus-based attorney, and uh, he's, uh, he's filing a lawsuit. In fact, he may have made the filing last night. I was speaking with him last night, and he's filed a lawsuit against Hilliard 
public schools. And you probably have an idea of why, right? The reason why anybody would be filing lawsuits against schools these days is to stop them from harming our children, indoctrinating them, grooming them, sexualizing them, right? So Josh Brown has filed a lawsuit on behalf of at least a dozen families, at least a dozen sets of parents, maybe more. We'll find out from him at 935, uh, to stop Hilliard schools from privately and without parental consent sexualizing their kids, talking to them about sex, talking to them about sexual orientation, perhaps encouraging them to experiment with other identities and genders and so forth. It is, um, it's impossible. It's impossible to justify. But it's going on in schools all around the country, all around the state of Ohio and all around the country. That's just the reality of it all. You know it and I know it. And uh, now there's going to be a lawsuit that says so and says, and it's going to hold people accountable. And I don't know if that suit is just against teachers, if it's against the school building or the, or the, uh, the uh, high school or junior high or elementary school, the whole district, personal administrators, board members. But I hope when the all, all is said and done, that this suit includes, as a named defendant, the teachers' unions, the AFT or the NEA and the OEA. AFT is American Federation of Teachers. NEA is the National Educators Association or Education Association, and the OEA is the Ohio version of that, Ohio Education Association. I hope they are named defendants in this because they are the drivers of all of the trash that we see happening to our kids. Somebody posted one of these... um, Extraordinarily frustrating and, and, and rage inducing, quite frankly, stories on Twitter, because they're all over the place. Thanks to, uh, people like, uh, uh, libs of TikTok, there are, there are accounts on Twitter that just highlight all of this gross, uh, repugnant, uh, over-sexualizing and normalizing of deviant, uh, perverted sexual behavior, particularly males dressed as female type of behavior and so forth. And these things are all over the place on the Internet. And somebody posted one of those yesterday on Twitter, and I responded, if you're on Twitter, by the way, so am I. Follow me at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z, France Rants. And I responded there, I said, why aren't these people being fired? Specifically when they're posting things, um, that just quite are blatantly inappropriate for teachers. And I guess the word appropriate is, is the operative word here. It kind of, it kind of becomes important, I guess, now to say, is there any such thing as appropriateness anymore? Does anybody have decorum, um, standards, morality, some sort of integrity in education anymore? I think that's the real issue here. It's one of the real issues here, anyway. And, you know, what is appropriate? Is, it a, is there anything that's not appropriate anymore? It seems like anything and everything is okay. So I, I responded. This particular one was from Libs of TikTok. Here it is. I found it. And this teacher is just laughing in her video. They, they make these TikTok videos, you know, these selfie videos, where they expose themselves and their agenda and what they do for you know the the purpose of entertaining their like-minded radical freaks and that's what they are other attention whores and that's what they are and i don't want anybody freaking out when i say attention whore that doesn't mean that kind of whore that kind of whore will do anything sexual for money and attention whore will do anything for attention 
That's it, just attention. So these attention whores get on there, and then they complain when Libs of TikTok reposts their own public posts, saying, oh my gosh, you're trying to get people after me. You're trying to generate death threats toward me. You're trying to cause me harm, uh, this, this Libs of TikTok person. You posted it publicly for the entire world to see. All she did was repost it on her page. How is that going to get you threatened or harmed any more than your own videos are going to get you threatened or harmed? Anyway, this particular one says, Teacher laughs about bringing political unrest to her school by pushing pronouns, showing up with purple hair, and mocking the Bible. So she's making an announcement. This is what I do to create unrest in my school. Now, my response to that tweet was simple. How do these people not get fired? She's admitting that she's not there to educate children. She's admitting on her own accord, in her own uh, personal video that she posted publicly. So it's not personal, it's public video. She's admitting she's there to create political unrest in the school, not to teach children. And she's laughing about it. She's enjoying it. And I said, how do these people not get fired? And somebody responded with an answer that I already knew, but it's glad to see it. The answer is teachers' unions. Teachers' unions have so much power, not only to establish policy for schools and school boards and districts and boards of education at state levels. The teachers' unions have power to protect radical groomers pretending to be educators in your child's elementary classroom or junior high classroom or high school classroom. They do. So my point there being, of course, I hope Josh Brown includes the teachers' unions in his uh, lawsuit against, um, on behalf of the parents, <laughs> excuse me, uh, against Hilliard School. So that story is coming up uh, this morning at uh, 935 with, with Josh. Now, uh, I want to get into one other story here in the opening monologue before we do our Pledge of Allegiance. We're going a little bit out of order here, and that's okay. I want to play a clip for you. You probably remember or have heard in the two and a half years of the COVID drama about Dr. Leanna Wen, right? Dr. Leanna Wen is a Washington Post columnist, and she's the CNN medical analyst. That means she uh, knows so much more. It kind of reminds me of... Uh, of uh, uh, Amy Acton. But anyway, she goes on CNN and she spouts, well, incorrect information. And she's been doing it for two and a half years. She's been called out for it numerous times for two and a half years. But the, you know, the COVID police of, oh, how dare you attack Dr. Leanna Wen? She's like Dr. Fauci. She believes in science. Follow the science, the science, the science, the science. They have the science. All you have is fear mongering, you anti vaxxer, you vaccine hesitator. How dare you challenge Dr. Leanna Wen? And Dr. Leanna Wen wrote in the Washington Post and appeared on CNN for about two and a half years, dressing down the quote-unquote vaccine hesitant and telling everybody that the vaccines work, that they're safe and effective, that this is, this is important. Look at how many people are dying. The COVID deaths are stacking up on top of one another. The morgues are overrun. Uh, and it's all because of you vaccine-hesitant people. All of you who think that the vaccine is going to harm you, All of you who think that uh, the vaccine won't stop you from dying, you people are the problem. And for the last two and a half years, critics of her have, uh, have, you know, those criticisms have fallen on deaf ears. Well, how about this? Three days ago, for now on Friday, Dr. Leanna Wynn used her Washington Post column to write something very, very interesting. After two and a half years of telling us that COVID 
is so incredibly deadly that COVID um, and it's it's the severity of it for all ages requires vaccinations all the way down to your children and your infants six months of age and up. All of a sudden, Doctor Wen uh, writes a Washington Post column saying, "Yeah, um, you know, maybe there has been some overcounting of COVID deaths. Maybe." Too much of the counting was done of people who died with COVID as opposed to of COVID or from COVID. And that collective slap you hear right now is millions of Americans smacking their forehead and going, that's what we were saying all along. That's what we told you. That's what we said. For crying out loud, there were whistleblowers in county morgues saying they were forced to report that a motorcycle victim, motorcycle accident victim who died, they tested the corpse and found out they had COVID and they recorded them as COVID deaths. Which we've been saying that. And she told us to sit down and shut up because we're not Dr. Leanna Wen, CNN medical analyst. They told us to shut up, and now, two and a half years later, article, headline in the Washington Post, we are overcounting COVID deaths and hospitalizations. That's a problem, end quote. And the byline, Dr. Leanna Wen. Her observations prompted people to do, like I said, smack their foreheads and grit their teeth and scream, we said that all along. And now she's talking about it on CNN, of course. I think it's important for us to be intellectually honest in this case, and that includes recognizing that circumstances have changed. At the beginning of the pandemic, we had a situation where there were many people dying from COVID pneumonia, including healthy young people were dying because of severe shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. They were hospitalized because of it. Then, as a result of vaccines and as a result of a lot of people getting COVID and having some level of immunity to it, we're seeing far fewer cases of that kind of severe COVID and severe COVID pneumonia specifically. And yet hospitals are still routinely testing everyone who's getting admitted for COVID. And so we're seeing many people who are hospitalized with COVID. And I think it's important to separate out who is being hospitalized because of it, because there are a lot of people who are still very concerned about their risk from COVID. And we need to give them um, the most accurate data possible so that they can better gauge their risks. And there are people who are still not resuming indoor dining or going to the gym or socializing. And I think we have to give them the most accurate reporting possible. Two and a half years too late, she wants to give the most accurate COVID death reporting possible and COVID hospitalization uh, rates possible. Two and a half years too late. Because for two and a half years, she forced people into their homes. She helped force, she helped use the fear-mongering narrative of, of the big government at the federal level, at the state level, at the county levels. They, they all followed her because she said, I'm science, like Dr. Fauci. Follow the science, follow the science. She told us all of these things for two and a half years. Now she's going to say, yeah, we probably shouldn't have been doing that. Thanks for absolutely nothing, quote-unquote, doctor. I got more on that coming up. But right now it's 923. What I want you to do as a patriot is to stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer 
in lying to the American people for two and a half years about what the real threat of COVID is and about the real safety and and effectiveness of these poison darts that are now causing people to drop over dead, stroking out, cardiac arrest, and more. If you push that on everybody because of your fear, well, you don't have any any reason whatsoever to salute that flag. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're off to a great start. we got a great show lined up for you this morning. Stay here. Go nowhere. Join me at 216-901-0945 as well on Always Right Radio. Nine twenty seven, always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer again. We're going to be talking to Josh Brown coming up here in a few after the bottom of the hour news. Peter Kirsten now going to join us after the top of the next hour. Uh, and one other quick note in the monologue. I want to look. I'm all about praising our really conservative legislators, and I have been all about criticizing those who are milk toast and those who do some things that just make me scratch my head. It's like, why are you even a Republican if you're going to vote for things like the $1.7 million, or excuse me, trillion dollar omnibus spending bill the way Dave Joyce did? Uh, but I give credit where it's due because I'm a fair person. And I want to get a little credit to Dave Joyce for just a moment here. Story in the Ohio Press Network, that's uh, Jack's uh, publication, uh, is on Dave Joyce, who is encouraging his fellow congressmen to get behind a resolution that he has introduced to shield American industry from new disclosure requirements that are meant to advance leftist environmental policy. Last year, the SEC proposed requirements for publicly traded companies to disclose information about the climate-related risks that are reasonably likely to have a material impact on their business results of operation or financial condition. So Dave Joyce and his legislation's co-sponsors insist that corporate disclosures should conform to a strict definition of materiality. They say they fear that what the Biden administration is pushing the SEC to do is to go beyond its limit in requiring these corporations, publicly traded corporations, to uh, provide investors with the accounting of their impacts on carbon emissions. And Joyce made it clear, the SEC was not established to micromanage the operations of U.S. companies based on social and political goals. So I'm proud to introduce this resolution to denounce the weaponization of our securities laws and support the longstanding principles which guide the SEC's disclosure regime. So you know that's a lot of language. It's a lot of fluff. The reality of the situation is this. Dave Joyce is proposing legislation to stop the federal government whether it be through the SEC or any other agency, from taking social justice goals and in, uh, inserting them into business regulations. The climate change uh, uh, threat, the fear-mongering, and so on and so forth, that already impacts so many elements of our lives, which, of course, is just simply ridiculous, um, cannot be allowed to be impact to impact the SEC and American industrial industrialized companies. It's just very, very important. American industry is the best way to say that. So how about that? 
I will criticize when criticism is due, but I will praise when praise is due. Dave Joyce got one right, so congratulations to him. We'll take a time out now for news. And as mentioned, coming back with Josh Brown, how do we protect the schools? Maybe in the courts. That story next. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yes, indeed. That is who we are. That is what we are. It's 937. Good Tuesday morning to you. Don't forget, Kirsten out coming up at uh, 1010 this morning. It is a Kirsten out day. He's loaded for bear on the Biden uh, document scandal. There's another document that I'm interested in discussing right now. This document uh, is a lawsuit, uh, a complaint that has been filed, uh, as I understand it, last night against Hilliard Public Schools, the entire district. And it's been filed on behalf of a number of families, I want to say a dozen or so, by Columbus-based attorney Josh Brown, who joins us now to fill in all of the details here on AM 1420, The Answer. Josh, thank you for the time this morning. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you very much, sir. So... Josh, this is this came to my attention last night. Obviously, you and I were discussing this briefly, and I talked about it uh, uh, after our podcast with Jack Windsor last night, reporting for the Ohio Press Network. Uh, and I understand the lawsuit has been filed, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about, uh, first, who your client is. Uh, how many parents are we talking about here in this lawsuit against Hilliard Schools? Then we'll talk about what the complaint covers. There's eight parents that are playing us on the lawsuit. Okay, so eight, eight, eight individual parents or eight sets of parents, or does it, does it matter? Uh, I believe it'd be just eight plaintiffs. I can't remember. I think one of them, one of them is married couple. But okay. I think we're going to be adding plaintiffs, so I anticipate <clears throat> uh, at least four or five more plaintiffs well, you, to come on. Yeah, you have anticipated my next question, which is going to be, will any others be joining this, or can they join this after the complaint is filed? So... All right. Now, uh, Jack and I have discussed on this program before a lot of the uh, uh, the uh, situation at, Hill, at uh, Hilliard, Hilliard City Schools, and um, it's not pretty. A lot of it is is very concerning and alarming to a lot of parents. It is not unique either because it's going on in schools all over Ohio and all over the country in many ways in which uh, teachers and administrators are essentially allowing the overt sexualization and the overt uh, indoctrination uh, of young kids into perhaps alternative lifestyles and alter- alternative sexual identities and so forth. And parents have been bombarding school boards uh, with complaints over these kinds of things, but not too many of them have resulted in lawsuits yet. So tell us how this lawsuit came to be uh, and tell me what the exact complaint with Hilliard Schools is. Well, um, there are about seven of these across the country, but ours is unique in it for a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what started with a group of parents came to me and said that they were concerned about the uh, teachers at the district asking questions of the students as to what their preferred pronouns were at school and what their preferred pronouns were when the teachers were talking to the parents. In fact, there was a survey, and I have a picture of the survey that specifically asked uh, children that question. So that was where it sort of started. Then there was a meeting with the superintendent. Josh, if I may, what, super- what age What age are we talking about? What grades of these uh, kids are getting this survey? As young as six years old. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and so there was a meeting with the superintendent. The superintendent told the parents, 
that a teacher would be putting themselves at great legal risk if they told parents that the child was manifesting symptoms of gender dysphoria at school. So obviously we were very concerned when he told us that in its Title IX actually forbids the school from telling the parents this information. Then once the school year started, the teachers started wearing these badges, and the badges have a QR code on them that links to a website that has pornographic material on it. And those badges are, uh, they say, I'm here, and they are specifically warned by teachers to invite conversations from students about their sexuality, about their religion, about their sexual behaviors and attitudes. And so not only were they adopting a policy that they cannot tell the parents about these things, but now they're affirmatively inviting private conversations. They're soliciting private conversations with children as young as six years old about that subject. And that has to so, be that has to be the the most of the most grave concern. They're not they're not receiving overtures from kids saying, "I don't know what to do. I've got these thoughts in my head that maybe I'm not what I think I am," and blah blah whatever. They're not going to teachers for help. The teachers are openly inviting it, and thus what some might say recruiting for it. Take a look at this QR code, scan it with your phone, uh, and have a look. And then uh, come and talk to me. I'm here if you need me. That's that's not that's not providing guidance to a student. That is encouraging, recruiting, coercing, even if you dare. And, and and of course, the word of the the year right now is grooming these kids into experimenting with these things, right or wrong. Well, the teachers are not supposed to be engaging in these conversations. They're school counselors. Uh, that are supposed to be doing that. And so the school counselors are specifically trained and they're supervised. Whereas these teachers are, they were never put up to this by the district. Actually, they were put up to it by the, uh, the teachers union. Teachers uh, union there uh, it is. is the one who gave them the badges and the teachers union is the one that, um, defended it. <clears throat> and the, uh, we actually caught the teachers union president going through the school telling people not to, uh, talk about the badges with people. So we uh, definitely, the, the my clients definitely uh, had those concerns. And so what we did was we wrote a letter to the lawyer who represents the school district, and we said, these things are happening. And I'm only touching the tip of the iceberg, by the way. Uh, there are many other things, too. <clears throat> and we said, these things are happening. Does this violate school policy? Her response was, that the school has a, what she called, quote, a default expectation that we tell parents about mental health issues. However, there is no such thing in the law as a default expectation. That was, I think, very lawyerly, cheating language, trying to get around saying that the school does not have a policy on that. So uh, we wrote her back a second letter. The district legal counsel, we wrote her a second letter. And that letter went through three particular occurrences that we were concerned about that would have violated what she described as a default expectation. 
And then she refused to answer that. So her return message to that was uh, <clears throat> basically, if you want to know, look at the, the look at the school's policies, which are published online. <laughs> and so uh, we knew that at that point the school was uh, unwilling to engage in a conversation with these parents. And and I wasn't representing just eight parents in, in those conversations with the district. It was around 30 at that time. Uh, only eight have decided to actually put their name on the lawsuit at this time. But there's about 30 total that are concerned about this and are tell, involved. Tell me, in, uh, Josh, in tell process. me more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- tell me more why uh, have, did the other 22 not, not want to engage in the in the legal process? Well, some of them just couldn't make it to the meetings where we uh, discussed what was going to happen. So that's why I anticipate uh, more will come on board. Uh, this this became very timely recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you reported on this, but in Chicago, they have an, their school district has an inspector general, and their inspector general issued a report a few days ago, and that report noted nearly 500 instances of sexual abuse throughout that district. And I think once that report came out and everybody saw it, uh, the demand on me to get this filed right away increased pretty tremendously. I would like to have maybe waited a little longer to get everybody on board for the actual filing, but I think that uh, the demand really increased, and we decided to go forward uh, at that time. And we can amend the complaint to add plaintiffs later, so uh, that's where we're at right now. We are talking, if you just turned us on this morning, we're talking with attorney Josh Brown. He is a Columbus attorney who cares about, uh, children's rights and parents' rights. Um, the reason I asked if the other 22 or why the other 22 parents that originally started out in this, uh, did not advance forward, I'm wondering if they're, if they're afraid. I mean, let's be honest. Um, with all of the acrimony surrounding this issue in schools, uh, there has to be concern and fear for blowback uh, on the kids, that if the parents sue the school, sue the district, that their kids are not going to be able to go to those classes without being mistreated by the teachers, maybe by other students uh, who, who are old enough to understand what's going on and, uh, you know, who are who are going to ostracize them. So is there a concern, do you think, Josh, about pushback or some sort of re- repercussions for the children of the parents who do have the guts to go forward with this? It does take a lot of courage to put your name on that piece of paper, so I, I think that might have played a role. We had one uh, set of parents in particular, and this really was a part of the impetus for the lawsuit as well. The parents, uh, they got a call one day that their child was suicidal at the school, and when they visited the school, the social worker told them that the child had been uh, manifesting gender dysphoria at the school, and... Uh, that the school counselors, and not the counselors, but the teachers had been basically part of that and that they had kept that information from the parents up to that point. And so when they, they pulled the kid out of school and uh, basically the kid got a lot better after they got him away from the school. And so that was a big concern. And um, those parents have definitely um, expressed concerns to me about what the repercussions of actually putting their name out there would be if it's actually going to make things worse or better for them in their private lives. One thing I do want people to know, and this is a big point of emphasis, we're not suing the school for money. We're not suing the school for any kind of damages. This is a declaratory judgment and an injunction. We're asking the court to declare the parents' rights and the school's obligations as it pertains to informing parents of what they know about the student at school 
and the injunction is to stop the school from soliciting and inviting conversations with little children about sexual matters and uh, their religion and their uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. Josh, I want to um, go back to something that was very important that you said earlier on. And before you even came on this morning, I was discussing and previewing our conversation, and I expressed um, a, a strong desire for teachers' unions to be included as named defendants in any kind of a lawsuit like this. Uh, and that's the reason why, is because I was talking about the number of public school teachers who go online on social media and record videos of themselves admitting to some of the radical types of behaviors that they're engaging in with their children and their stu- uh, the students in their care. And we're talking about preschool, elementary school, you know, primary grades to middle school and so forth. And, um, and, I, and I tweeted in response to one of them, why aren't these people being fired? Because they're going on on uh, online and admitting they're not there to teach. They're not their job as they see it isn't to teach. It is to indoctrinate and influence these kids into these radical alternative lifestyles. Why aren't they being fired? And somebody responded with an answer I already knew, and that was teachers unions. They wield so much power. The AFT, the uh, NEA, the OEA, they wield so much power. So. Um, I was hoping when I talked to you to uh, to learn that the teachers' unions were included uh, in a lawsuit like this. But perhaps since what you're looking for is declaratory judgment and not compensation at this point in time, is that why they're not named here? The reason that we're only suing the district is because the relief that we're seeking is relief from the district. So we're not seeking anything from the teachers' union. Um, although I would say the activity that we're trying to stop was by the teachers union exactly and I do think the teachers fair. union is running the district uh, and, and maybe not just Hilliard but maybe you know so many many of these across the country at least that's the way it appears from well, news coverage of these events yeah, the school the, the teachers of, unions have a lot of power over policy uh, yeah. at the board level and, and at the administrative level of all these schools go ahead the balance of power between the school board and the teachers union has definitely been a very serious concern for a lot of people but I think that one thing that uh, while well, a lot of people don't know about the teachers' unions is that they uh, have a <clears throat> uh, guidelines and manuals that they put out to the schools, and there's a whole chapter in there about um, helping children transition at school, and they specifically talk about how you cannot let the parents know, and they give you specific tips in their manual. So there's two main teachers' unions. Um, the one that Hilliard is part of is the National Education Association. That's the one that promulgates the manual I was just discussing. Mm-hmm. The AFT is the other big one, and that's the American Federation of Teachers. And they have these cards that they uh, send out to teachers that help them uh, learn how to hide uh, the symptoms of gender dysphoria from the parents. So there's no question that the teachers' union has gone beyond its mission from being a a labor union for teachers to being part of the educational process and the the process of creating educational materials and running districts. Whether Um, that's a good thing or not, I guess, is a dispute between, you know, for the voters. But the, the sad thing to me is that the voters are, they, they act through the school board and the school board's hands are tied uh, frequently by public policy and um, 
<clears throat> and the activism uh, that teachers unions can uh, can uh, engage in. We're talking with attorney Josh Brown, uh, who has filed this lawsuit, this complaint uh, against Hilliard uh, uh, City School District uh, for some some behavior that parents are very, very gravely concerned about as it pertains to uh, their children and sexualization and the indoctrination of their kids without parental knowledge. I'm going to ask you one last question for today, and I expect we'll have a lot more questions as this goes through the legal process, and hopefully we can uh, continue to to check in with you. But I want to ask about the political nature of this. Um, statement, uh, uh, Section 4, Statement of Facts, you cover in some depth in this complaint uh, the Dear Colleague letter first sent, uh, issued by the Obama Department of Justice interpreting Title IX and uh, saying it's a pro- prohibition of, uh, of discrimination on the basis of sex encompassing discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. This one was mostly about the bathroom uh, rules. Uh, and then you go on to talk about what Mike DeWine did here in the state of Ohio, then talking about the differences in policy uh, from Obama to Trump to Biden. So there is, I think you summarize it here, there is a profound difference in opinion, uh, oftentimes based on the political party of who is in charge uh, as it pertains to Title IX. Can you give us more on the role that that plays in this complaint? Sure. I gave you an hour lecture on that subject, so I'll try to keep it short. Okay. <laughs> but it's one of the biggest issues in the legal system throughout our country is the influence of administrative agencies on the courts and on the actual law. And so uh, one of President Trump's big legal issues was that he opposed the Chevron Doctrine, which was the doctrine that courts have to give deference to the interpretation of administrative agencies of laws. And the Ohio Supreme Court recently ruled that that's garbage and that they have no, um, the administrative agencies have no right to have any more of an opinion than anybody else about what the law is. It's the court's decision. And one of the reasons this became a problem is because agencies were rewriting the laws through their interpretation authority. So one of the most gross examples of that was the federal agencies, when Democrat presidents are in charge, they interpret Title IX one way, and then when Republicans are in charge, they interpret Title IX a different way, and the two different ways they interpret it is profoundly different. And this is a law that was passed in 1972 to protect women's rights. So it is just uh, gross and perverse to let a federal agency uh, under the influence of a political party uh, to interpret a law to say something that it doesn't say. And that was the origination of this problem once President Biden was elected and the federal agencies went back to uh, the Democrat Party's uh, style of interpretation of Title IX, the schools and the teachers' unions felt empowered to act on that. And this uh, manual and these guidelines and these activities are all justified under the not Title IX itself, but the interpretation of Title IX, which has no bearing like it's not it's nothing like the actual statute itself (laughs) so um that's an enormous problem and so in the complaint we describe that as being the origin of the problem and that's why the court should issue declaratory judgment the courts should be the ones who decide what the law is not administrative agencies 
Yeah, I think that's. I mean, you're right. You could have gone on for an hour, but I think that's very clear if you're if you're paying attention to this. So the the last question I have for you now, uh, Josh Brown, <clears throat> attorney representing these parents, is about the, is about the process. Where does it go from here now that it's been filed? What kind of timing and timetable do you expect the courts to operate under here before we get this thing in front of a judge and uh, and make the argument for the declaratory judgment? I think it'll be a while till we actually get to that phase. Um, the school district has the right to respond usually with uh, about a month, and then they may request an extension of time. So um, I would say within two years we should probably have um, some sort of decision. And that would only be the beginning because I assume then we go to appellate courts and uh, and Lord knows if it goes all the way up to the Ohio Supreme Court or beyond. Well, this is in the federal system, so... Oh, so it would be the U.S. Supreme Court. Court. Oh, okay, federal law. There are many of these cases that are... Ours is unique in a number of different ways, Mm -hmm. but there's other cases of the same nature that's complaints over the agency's interpretation of Title IX. In fact, the agency's interpretation of Title IX is now being stayed by a court in Tennessee. There's 22 states, including Ohio, sued over those interpretations. So the actual interpretations themselves are are not active right now. They're stayed. And uh, <clears throat> the school district tried to tell us that that was some sort of a procedural, um, you know, technical ground. But, no, if you read the opinion, the judge said these interpretations are not reflective of the statute itself, and therefore I'm putting a stay on them. <laughs> so, Got it. Got it. Uh, it's interesting so how this, they try to frame it sometimes. <clears throat> so this claim has been filed in the U.S., so I should have seen that U.S. District Court, Southern District of Ohio. So it is a federal thing, and uh, obviously it is, uh, it's got a long way to go. But the case has been filed. Josh Brown is the attorney representing these families. Hopefully more families or parents will join this because I think it impacts virtually everybody, not just in Hilliard schools but beyond. So this is, a, this is an important issue, an important case. Josh Brown, thank you for sharing the information with us. And, again, we'll check in with you as uh, the, the uh, case moves its way forward, and uh, hopefully uh, we can get an update on that. Uh, as soon as we can. I thank you so much for the time. Thank you, sir. I hope you have a good day. You do the same. Josh Brown, the attorney representing the families. It's 958. We'll be back after the news. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward, we roll into our number two. A little bit late coming back, a little bit late going out, but I appreciate Josh Brown, Attorney Josh Brown in Columbus, for uh, giving, uh, appreciate him giving us all of the details on that claim. Uh, filed yesterday, uh, complaint filed, I should say, yesterday. Late last night, he filed it. This morning, he's on air with us telling us why against Hilliard Schools. We'll follow that very, very closely. So if you missed that interview, you're going to want to hear it. Go to the uh, webpage at the end of the show. Sometime about an hour after the show ends, around 1 o'clock or so, it's always posted. The podcast of today's show will be at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. So from one attorney in Columbus to another here in Cleveland, one of the most well-known attorneys in the country, uh, if for no other reason by virtue of his uh, tenure as the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, frequent guest on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson Today, and his specials as well. He is uh, our uh, longtime friend, and uh, he's with 
with us each and every Tuesday. And, of course, I speak of Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow. On AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Bob. A heck of an introduction, except uh, one thing is missing, and it's because I haven't yet done it. It's Kersenow for one play. I'm still <laughs> baffled as to why I haven't been on the field yet, and they're going to have a defensive coordinator. They, they have time to hire a defensive coordinator, but not Kersenow for one play. And I guarantee you, if they want to win, put me in for one play, it'll baffle the other teams. Defensive coordinators are going to be scratching their heads thinking, what is this? Is this some kind of a feint? We're going to have to... We're, we're going to have to game plan for this waste all that time game planning for Kersenow. well you know that's that you're right that would change things that would that would definitely be a difference maker you know one thing pete uh, all seriousness now in all seriousness if you watched any of the games and i did i've i've kind of broken my vow a little bit of getting away it's uh, the playoffs always just grabs me because it's been grabbing me since i was a little child and i've been watching these games and and the more i watch the more i realize how far away the cleveland browns are from being anything remote wow uh, yeah. even 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 you know uh, even remotely resembling a competitor yeah, you and I have had the same thought. I was watching some of the playoff games, which were very nice over the weekend. I did the same thing. I, I haven't been watching as much football as I used to in the past, not even remotely close. But uh, I watched a good portion of many of the, the playoff games, and it struck me that, you know, boy, they look like different teams than the Cleveland Browns. we got a ways to go. We've got some good personnel. There's no doubt about that. But, boy, there's something missing there. I don't know what to yeah, – I mean, we could talk about this forever and ever, but uh, we got a ways to go is the bottom line. No question about it. All right, Pete, let's dive into the most important issue uh, going on right now, and that is whether or not the President of the United States is corrupt in his handling of classified information. One thing we know, he is at the very least clumsy, and that's the least. Um, if it could we come to find out it's intentional, the reason why he took a lot of classified documents, classified materials from the Obama White House when he left as Vice President, and left them scattered haphazardly, apparently, all over all of the places that he visits, whether it be in his home, his garage, the uh, Biden-Penn Center, or Penn-Biden Center, whichever one it was. But this is, um, this is quite ama- amazing to learn all of this, but what's more amazing is the disparate treatment that he is getting in the uh, as this uh, case kind of bears itself out, compared to the way President Donald Trump was treated uh, when classified documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. So I want you to listen to uh, the Washington Post's, uh, I think his name is Eric Schmidt on MSNBC, uh, talking about why there are differences, and I want your reaction to this piece. Um, I think you guys laid it out pretty well there, how these are really different examples. One person went to the government and said, hey, I found these classified documents, how can I get them back to you? And the other person put up a months-long fight that got so extreme And I think we sometimes forget this, that the FBI had to execute a search warrant at the home of a former president. Had to execute a search warrant at the home of a former president. By the way, it was Michael Schmidt. My apologies. Uh, He was on MSNBC. Had to execute a search warrant. Peter, I asked Jim Jordan this question. I'll ask it to you now as you respond to that. Why did the Biden personal family attorney or Joe Biden's personal attorney get to conduct the search rather than the raid and the search warrant by the FBI. Peter? Yeah. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. I got a lot to say about it. It raises so many issues. Uh, But you can see right from that quote why the Washington Post had to lay off scores of employees, because not even the people who read the Washington Post or used to read it believe them anymore. It's so much uh, I'll use a technical term, bull. 
it is incredible the cover they give to Democrats generally, but particularly this president who's so manifestly incompetent and, yes, corrupt. Let's get to the corrupt in a, in a second. I'd just like to exercise point of personal privilege as a thriller novelist. What strikes me and should strike almost everybody, there's a lot of preliminary questions that need to be addressed, and one of them is really amazing to me. Uh, I haven't heard it raised before, but it was one of the first things that I thought of, and almost any thriller writer would uh, do the same thing. For quite some time, and I think they may still have it, the Department of Homeland Security used to have a program called, I think it was called a Red Cell program or something, where they would get a number of people, including people who thought outside the box, such as thriller writers, and because they had missed 9-11, or purportedly missed 9-11, they tried to think out of the box and talk to these people about what are potential threats that we have to look out for. And they would brainstorm like crazy. One of the things that is incredible to me is this report. Uh, well, it's not a report. Uh, uh, the affirmative action spokesperson said that this was, um, you know, the, the uh, Secret Service was not there over, you know, constantly because that's his personal home or personal residence. And that stunned me. I was not aware of it. I admit to you, I was not aware that Secret Service were not always present, even if the president is not there or his family's not there, for the simple reason that if they are not there, if there isn't, and not just security, but I mean Secret Service security and national intelligence security, you know, I, I vacation not too far from where uh, Biden's residence is. I know it intimately. Mm-hmm. That is so accessible by anyone who wanted to do the United States or the president specifically harm. In other words, the Chinese, the Russians, you name it. And even though the president's not there, it's his personal residence, you know, on the weekends or something. If you are a credible security uh, or intelligence agency, such as the SVR of the Soviet Union, or of, I'm sorry, of Russia, or the Chinese intelligence or Iranian intelligence, you are going to be aware of it. You're going to target it, especially if there's no security there. It's stunning to me. What a tremendous, why doesn't, that needs to be addressed immediately, not just from the standpoint of the president's safety and that of his family, mm-hmm. but the fact that we had classified documents there. You're telling me that with that, the, and, and the SVR knows quite well how ridiculous Biden is when it comes to his mental competence and his, frankly, attention to detail. They know this. They've got, and the Chinese do, they've got huge files on this guy and almost anybody who could, who could eventually ascend to the presidency. And they'd be aware that there's nobody. This is stunning lapse in security. Just amazing to me. But let's put that aside. Um, what, what was the, the, first of all, one of the questions I ask, you know, the old thing about who, what, when, where, the thing I focus on always is the first thing is why, why right now, as you say, we've got president's lawyers looking for classified documents. I don't hear the answer for that. What prompted this search? It wasn't like somebody was sitting around watching football and then decided, you know what, be a good idea to, you know, search Joe's private residence just for the heck of it. Something prompted it. And not only that, they found these classified documents, at least the first trench, before the election, more than two months ago. They knew about it for quite some time, but did nothing about it, did not disclose it to anybody. You know, this full transparency that the affirmative action spokesperson likes to talk about, there was no transparency whatsoever. They held on to it until they got safely past the election cycle. Why? Why was this search being conducted by his lawyers? 
not by classified people who've got clearances to handle classified information, not by, as you put it, the FBI who raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago place, even though that place is rife with security, his own personal security, and because he was a former president, Secret Service was there, not like the vacation home right on the beach of Joe Biden that anybody, including Chinese, Russian, Iranian, Cuban intelligence could have gotten their hands on. Stunning, especially when these intelligence services all know and knew for a long time that his son is dissolute uh, crack addict and frequented the place. That would be an optimal place for them to go. Not because, just frequented, yeah. Pete, not just frequented. Uh, last night on Tucker, uh, there was a, a pretty good presentation by Trace Gallagher there in which it was essentially proven that Hunter Biden lived there. He was yes. living in the home where classified documents were kept, not only in offices, but in the garage next to the Corvette, completely unsecured uh, and, 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 and able to be accessed by anybody with whom Hunter Biden associated. Right. It's one thing Correct. to talk about his crackhead son and all of his um, various legal uh, you know, uh, problems that he's had. But it's another thing to say that this is a guy who has proven to have been uh, working with and for Ukrainians, Chinese, Russians, right. and Lord only knows who else that might have wanted access to information from the Obama era. And Joe Biden's got these things sitting here. Who knows? I mean, I'll be honest with you, Peter, what, what, what Tucker asked last night that needs to be investigated by the special counsel is where did Hunter Biden, who is essentially destitute, get $50,000 per That's month for housing right. costs? What, what do we know about maybe what he sold for, for yeah. that kind of money? I mean, and, and I'm sorry, right. we don't have any proof of it, but it's worth the question to say, did he have access to things that some of his foreign contacts wanted? And maybe that's how he, got, he could afford 50000 a month. Go ahead. You just took everything I was going about to say, except for this, Bob. I went, I was just curious, and because I've got no life, I went to Zillow <laughs> and plugged in what the rental worth of that place would be on the open market, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's a nice place, but it's $7,600 a month, not $50,000 a month. His son, first of all, if I had a rental house like that or a beach house like that, my relatives would be staying there for free. Okay, they wouldn't be paying me anything. Right. But if they were paying me, they would be paying me market value. In this case, it's seven thousand six hundred dollars. Hunter is paying him fifty thousand dollars. Who pays fifty thousand dollars to anybody for a house like that that's worth seven thousand six hundred dollars? Now think, follow the money, right? I wouldn't pay fifty thousand dollars a month to vacation in the White House for crying out loud. There you go, Hunter Biden. Let's follow. Let's follow the trail. Hunter Biden. This is a dissolute crack addict who had no clue what was going on, frankly, he stayed there. Follow the documents and the money. Hunter Biden got millions from the Chinese and from Ukraine, not because he is their favorite crack addict, but because he is Joe's son, and they were looking for Joe's influence. He pays Joe $50,000 a month to stay there, far more than what the market value of that place is. And he got the $50,000 in part from China in Ukraine. Joe, only, here's the other thing. Oh, you, got, you can go, you know, spend five minutes. If we had a real media in this country, they, and I'm just curious. I wasn't, you know, looking for any information. I'm just curious. Joe uh, only reported on his his tax forms. You can look at his tax forms. Schedule E, he only reported that Hunter paid him $19,800 for that house. But when Hunter reported the amount, 
he reported at $49,910. Somebody filled out false tax returns. Maybe both of them did. Who knows? Somebody should look into that. Look, Bob, I have got three different jobs that I do, as you know. I am a busy person, and yet it only took me a few seconds to find this information that I don't see from the media, not even from Fox. This is easy stuff. Hunter also had an office in the Penn Biden Center. Remember, from That's reporting another. about a year ago, reporting about a year ago, Biden, Hunter Biden asked the manager for keys for Joe and from that derelict Jim Biden, the uncle who also made money off of Joe Biden. Yep. Remember that at the Penn Biden Center, they were sharing office space with a Chinese emissary. Sharing office space. This is stunning. This is extraordinary. So an, an overpriced amount is being paid to Joe Biden for a place that Hunter Biden is staying at. And Hunter Biden is paying for that in part because, you know, you commingle funds all the time. Money is fungible from the huge sums of money he is getting from Ukraine and from China for doing well, absolutely nothing. We all are well aware of the famous phrase from the laptop and from some of the emails, 10% for the big guy. I wonder yep. if 50K a month wasn't 10% for the big guy. And that's why he reported paying that, because uh, because Biden had to show somehow where this massive income was coming from. We couldn't just say, my cut from the illegal dealings that my son has with foreign countries, so it's we'll, we'll book it as rent. Just... Just suggesting that. Peter Kirsten, I will continue right after this on the M14 Point of the Answer. Okay, 1028, we continue for another couple of minutes here with Kirsten Al before the bottom of the hour news. Pete, listen to this. So they not only don't have their story straight, but that tells me that they were doing something during those two months. During those two months, I can guarantee you, in that house where Joe Biden said he was, uh, the, where he was living and Hunter said he was paying $49,000 a month rent, which to me is money laundering to his father, Joe. That's kind of what I was suggesting right before the break there, Pete. Uh, it's money laundering. They had to find a way to justify and, uh, yeah. and, you know, the, the, the 10% for the big guy and they have to clean that money, rinse it off and uh, get it to him with a, with a plausible story. Uh, does that sound right? Exactly right. That's what we were talking about. No doubt about that. Because he's paying 10 times or, or seven times above market value rent for that place. And classified documents are there. He gets that money from the Chinese and Ukrainians. This is one of the most incredible stories imaginable. And, and a, a number of other things that haven't been asked, even by, by Fox News and the media. Remember what I just said a little while ago, that I was stunned as a thriller writer, that there's no Secret Service protection there? Okay, that, that's, to me, just implausible beyond belief that there's not mm -hmm. Secret Service or some security there 24-7, okay? Um, I, have, I understand from people, I can't mention the names, but fairly high-level Secret Service people, that that is not true. That, in fact, there, is there are logs that register who was there, as you would expect from or any resident that the President of the United States is in, because you could see what the potential ramifications could be, just very clearly, classified documents being there. Where are those documents? Why isn't the press asking the questions that anybody with an IQ above room temperature would ask? Where are the logs? You tell me there are no logs? 
I don't believe that. Do an, a FOIA request. You probably won't find that stuff, but these things need to be pursued tenaciously because we're talking about Ukraine and China. We've already given $70 billion to Ukraine. I'm not su- suggesting that would have been given to them otherwise, but right. we need answers to that. Second is China, though. China is the big enchilada there, and they have been just raping the United States in terms of technological, military, you name it. And Joe Biden is right at the center of all of that. And we've got to ask, you know, why is it that you're paying over market value for that particular rental to your father from money that you didn't get for because you're a brilliant um, you know, lawyer, whatever Joe, uh, Hunter Biden was at one time, you got that money right. from Ukraine and from China. Pete, uh, every word I think is accurate, except you called China the big enchilada. Wrong food. It would probably be a spring roll. It would be the big spring roll for, for, for China to be. But you are correct, my friend, and we will talk more after this. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now, we continue our visit with Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Maybe one more short segment on uh, the document scandal and why it is being treated the way that it is. The new chairman of the Oversight Committee in the, U- in the uh, uh, GOP-controlled House of Representatives is James Comer, and he asks this. All we're asking for is equal treatment here. You know, why was mar Largo raided? By the FBI, why did the FBI go in and go through every room, including Barron's room and Melania's closet? Why did the FBI take surveillance cameras uh, from our Mar-a-Lago, but yet they haven't set foot, to our knowledge, uh, on the premise of either the Biden Center for Diplomacy or the Biden residence? You know, in fact, after the special counsel was announced, we find out that Joe Biden's personal attorneys, who don't even have security clearance, are still rummaging through looking for documents. I mean, this is so wrong. This is another example of a two-tier system of justice in America. And this is one reason why Republicans are so outraged over this whole process and the hypocrisy of the Biden administration. So he's the chairman of the Oversight uh, Committee, and that's a big deal. That's important. Uh, and, Peter, I-, I want to extend what he said, talking about why has there been no raid on either the uh, uh, the Penn-Biden Center or the, uh, the uh, Biden properties, his personal properties and homes and so forth. I would dare say, based on what you and I discussed last segment, there should be a raid ordered by the FBI in the interest of this uh, full investigation of any place and every place that Hunter Biden is. Yep, absolutely uh, right. Uh, because we don't know if he took something out of that box uh, that was in the uh, garage next to the Corvette. Um, Joe admitted, Tucker, Tucker talked about this last night, that Hunter uh, was one of the two, and I don't remember who, if it was another relative or somebody else, but helped restore that vintage Corvette for him in his garage. So he puts Hunter in the garage very directly, in addition to knowing that he paid rent to live there. So, you know, it, that who knows what he took and where he took it. Uh, every place, his car, his home, his, you know, any place that he has stayed, I think should be, uh, there should be a full-on search for classified materials, right? Absolutely. Uh, Hunter Biden stands as one of the greatest national security risks this country has ever faced. Here we have a dissolute, very um, blackmailable crack addict 
who clearly has no discernible skills and has already proven that he'll take money from almost any foreign adversary in the country in the in the world what i've heard from secret service agents and i've heard it from fbi agents too and we all know this this is not um anything that's new that at least since the obama administration both of those places have been heavily politicized and again we make the caveat that that doesn't apply to all fbi or secret service agents but most of us have known either fbi i have fbi agents and secret service agents in the past these are some of the greatest people around i remember growing up one of my friends father was a secret service agent but nonetheless it's becoming more and more politicized it defies um logic and one secret service person has told me that there have to be videos of that residence it would be security malpractice not to have surveillance of that residence at all times and from all angles all over the place and knowing where all visitors are if there's no logs there my goodness how can you provide adequate security for the president of the united states but the media is simply accepting at face value this this explanation this is not a conspiracy theory this is just basic 101 provision of security and like i sure. said at the outset if you're a thriller writer and you hear the president's residence doesn't have any logs doesn't have any video doesn't have any security you're going like oh my goodness let's find every bad guy in the world to plot to insert video surveillance there or at least maybe kidnap the president's son my goodness this this is ridiculous it does not pass the smell test and media needs to start asking the hard questions that almost any just an average lawyer would ask in the beginning of discovery on the most minor case this does not compute um one other thought on this uh pete uh when it comes to hunter biden i think you called him the most blackmailable or something like that um, <laughs> national security threat and i think you're right by the way um Everybody knew, and now some of them are talking. Remember when the laptop first surfaced by uh, Tony, uh, by the uh, uh, computer repair shop owner and then by Tony Bobolinsky verifying its contents and, and so forth as a firsthand eyewitness and a partner of, of Hunter Biden's. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they dismissed it as uh, Russian disinformation, and they bragged about how over 50 former Intel officials say this has the classic uh, earmarks of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of Russian disinformation, and that's why it should be ignored. Now one of those 50 has come out. Uh, Douglas Wise, former Defense Intelligence Agency Deputy Director and Senior CIA Operations Officer, in an interview published on Sunday with The Australian, strangely enough, Wise says most of what was found in the reported emails they knew had to be real. Quote, all of us figured that a significant portion mm-hmm. of that content had to be real to make any Russian disinformation credible. So he's admitting that the contents of that laptop were real, if not all of it, at least some of it. And rather than issuing a statement that says, I disagree, I don't think this is all Russian disinformation, we need to investigate to find out what is real and what is not, uh, instead, he just joined the the band there and said, "Yeah, it's Russian disinformation." And and now, again, always after the fact, we find out the truth. Yeah, Bob, you and I, I think, talked about this during the election. We thought that that letter was implausible. We thought it was a make a, a, just a, a piece of crap, frankly. And those fifty intelligence professionals should have their security clearances permanently revoked. This was purely politicized. And I'll go back again. 
You don't have to be a national security expert. You don't have to be the former deputy director of the CIA to understand if you've got an IQ above room temperature, you understand implicitly that that kind of, of letter, that, that kind of uh, explanation was pure propaganda in order to prop up somebody. That was just ridiculous on steroids. Beyond that, there was just so much information out there already that it showed had shown that uh, the, the laptop was, in fact, Hunter Biden's. This, this, was, this is extraordinary what's happening in the United States. I know a number of your listeners have called, by the way, uh, point of personal privilege, just want to have a shout out to two of your, your, your most loyal listeners, Connie and Terry. Hope, Connie, you're doing better. But your listeners know better than what we're being fed by a corrupt media or an inept media. This is the greatest national security challenge of all time. Why? Because it not only affects the White House, but so many of our national security establishment agencies and personnel, from the FBI to the CIA, DHS entirely, it's astonishing what's going on. The partisanship is sickening. It's harming the United States of America, and we are being told lies, and because we have an inept and or corrupt media, they don't ask the ordinary questions that I posed at the outset. Ask for, ask for the logs, ask for the videos, and do not stop until you get them. I, I assume by now, if they've denied that they have them, they've been destroyed in a way that you can't, you know, find out. But ask Absolutely. somebody knows, and somebody will spill the beans at some point, because there are still good and loyal people out there, and that needs to be done for the United States of America. This is not the United States of Democrats, the United States of This is the United States of America. We have patriots out there. They will do the job, and we're being led so poorly. We are being hurt by some of the worst, most inept, most corrupt people in the history of the United States. And Pete, um, just just the last thing on that, um, when, when you talk about accountability, when you talk about um, uh, making sure that if they've destroyed things, um, that maybe that can be recovered. Shouldn't they? Shouldn't there be like an automatic warrant being granted right now, sought by the special counsel and granted now for every server that Joe Biden has ever used or his right, staff right. has ever used from his time? Is because if if they destroyed the physical documents that were kept in the box next to the Corvette and all these other things like that, which I'm sure they could shred and burn and everything else. There's got to be records of them in the, uh, you know, yep. in the archives of the computers from which they were printed. We know that Hillary knew this, which is why she bleach bit and smashed her phones with hammers and everything else. I would think that right now, top, uh, top, uh, the top priority would be to secure every single server and, and computer that Biden has ever touched or his team has ever touched. Yeah. Um, you know that. Every first-year um, law student knows that. Anybody who's ever propounded discovery knows that. You'd be asking for everything and anything pertaining to that. Nobody's and, talking about it, though. I haven't heard anybody. And it would be done the first thing. It would be done before anything could be destroyed. Corinne Jean-Pierre, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the diversity hire press secretary, uh, is just talking about the search is done. All of the caches of, of documents have been found and blah, blah, blah. First of all, she lied. The search was not done. It was not complete. They're not being transparent. But again, they're, they're acting as if as long as no more papers with classified markings on them are found, that it's over. 
that everything has been recovered that can be recovered. And like I said, not a word I've heard about the digital source of these these uh, printed documents. I have not heard anybody right. talking about taking possession of and and securing uh, by the FBI or whomever. You know those, like I said, their servers and and computers and hard drives and whatnot. Nobody is talking about it. And I really wish. They yeah, would. you're asking all the questions that the FBI or the special yeah. counsel would be asking. You're asking the questions that a competent media would be asking. But that tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it now really does. I do think I do. Think think that probably somewhere in the bowels of the Secret Service and the FBI, some of these things are being done already. I got to hope that that's the case. I got to hope they're a- acting with alacrity. They're expediting these things because we are really talking about national security at the highest levels because we have clear, unequivocal evidence that Hunter Biden has been literally, almost literally in bed, not like Swalwell, with the red Chinese. He's gotten huge sums of money, and with that huge, huge, those huge sums of money, he somehow now has the wherewithal to pay way over market value to a home owned by his father, who happens to be President of the United States, which just also happens to have highly classified material in them. Stunning stuff. A thriller writer would not even try this because <laughs> readers would say, oh, this is so implausible. This is so fake, so transparent. This is ridiculous. And this, everyone who has any kind of responsibility for making sure these documents and national security is protected, those people need to be held to account and need to be asked a number of questions. Now, that doesn't mean the, the, the people who are actually doing, there are a lot of good people doing work, but the highest levels, the politicization that we have seen over the last few years, manifestly so, from Comey to Ray to all these folks, is extraordinary and sickening. We are being sold, our, our legacy of the United States of America is being sold out by a bunch of functionaries, and that includes well, Joe Biden, who can barely function. Just uh, just remember, the uh, the man that Joe Biden convinced to pay him $50,000 a month for a $7,000 market value beach house is the smartest man he has ever met. Yeah, the smartest man in the world is also one of the most despicable. You probably saw the, the uh, report yesterday where he's challenging his daughter's right to take his surname. Right. What kind the, of the, daughter, the, daughter, the, daughter, the daughter was born to the stripper that he had an affair with. Exactly right. They talk about Trump. What about this? That is the granddaughter of the president of the United States, who, the, who he won't even acknowledge. Won't even acknowledge. This, right. this guy, this great guy, he won't even acknowledge, does not even invite to the White House for Christmas or anything. They're just pretending she doesn't exist. She is his granddaughter. Unequivocally, they did the DNA tests. These are the kind of people we're dealing with. They're dissolute. They're corrupt. Well, we're talking about somebody... Levels. We're talking about somebody who left his own wife for his sister-in-law. He right. left I mean, his it, wife it, for his sister-in-law after Bo Biden died. That man is so compromised and easily compromisable, and the Chinese know that, the Russians know that, the Ukrainians know that, everybody knows that. And you trying to tell me they're not trying to make a move on him? Of course they did. He Pete, was renting office space at the Penn Biden Center. Remember when he asked the <laughs> office manager, I need keys, keys for the Chinese yeah. emissary. My Peter, goodness, this is ridiculous. Peter, we got to close with something a little bit lighter than all of this, so let's uh, let's do this comedy here. But when you ask them about giving us some reparations because this country was built on the back of black people for free, no one wants to talk about that. They're talking about it, Sonny Hostin in San Francisco, where the reparations committee is now proposing. Peter, are you ready for this? Five million dollars to each black resident along with total debt forgiveness built up over a lifetime this from the san francisco african-american reparations advisory committee and by the way the fact that california was never a slave state is irrelevant to this conversation pete i told you we'd we'd, uh, end with some humor your thoughts 
Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's humorous and it's it's serious also. It is mostly humorous because it's so ridiculously stupid. <laughs> Everyone sees it stupid. It has to come from California because it's that stupid. But I'd like to ask. You know, Kamala Harris has a residence there. Um, does she have to pay the reparations because her family owns slaves? Or does she get the, rep- uh, the, the reparations because, well, she's black, so we're not going to ask anything. Look, 13% of blacks currently living in the United States can, can go back and, by, if they get a genealogist, find out that their ancestors owned slaves also. A minimum of 13%. The, the, the figures vary. It's difficult to pin down. But you can look at certain documents back in, the, you know, especially in Louisiana. It's like something like 30% of blacks from Louisiana. But that... Just put all that aside. You don't have to go into it. When you start getting into that rabbit hole of analysis, you've lost the argument to begin with anyway. It just shows a little bit more of how nuts it is. But we don't have a creditor race and a debtor race for a reason. But I'll say this. You can give everybody $5 million. You know that old thing about, you You know, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Give a man, learn how, teach him how to fish, he eats, you know, for whatever it is. I can't yeah. remember the, the, I, I know the I know the phrase, yeah. But that $5 million is probably going to end up in somebody else's pocket anyway. It's not going to stay in the black community because you haven't done the groundwork to make sure blacks can use that money for the, the businesses, for education, for all those other things. So it's going to be going out of the black community anyway. You shouldn't be saying that. You're not supposed to say those kinds of things. But that's the bottom line, and everybody knows it. Uh, you know, Bob, we should be sick of this kind of stuff. We should not be tolerant of any of this kind of cl- the laziness and clown show that we're having here. Um, but it's up to the people of California. If they want their state to continue to decline so expeditiously, it's been a astonishing like a roller coaster it's going straight downhill if that's what they want fine good for them it better not happen in ohio and guess what i think with people like jim jordan others it won't happen in ohio but you know uh we saw some shenanigans going on in the state of ohio both at the assembly and other places we have to constantly monitor this to make sure we have got strong and intelligent conservatives who aren't going to suffer fools gladly I almost expected a because Stone Cold said so. After that, firm, that's the bottom line. Peter Kersenow, terrific as always, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Bob. That's Kersenow. It's 1054, Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer back after this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, we're number three now, underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. 
Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. Feels like a Monday for some because you may have had yesterday off. We didn't. We were working, so uh, it's a Tuesday to me. 17th morning of the first month, year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks to my guests today with a couple of really good ones. Josh Brown, Columbus-based attorney, joined us to talk about the lawsuit he has filed on behalf of eight parents uh, in uh, federal court against Hilliard City Schools, the Hilliard School District, for their ongoing attempts to indoctrinate children, sexualize them, engage in content with them and conversations with them without parental knowledge that is wholly outside of their scope of uh, responsibility. Uh, it's a big deal, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Uh, then we talked with Peter Kersenow about the uh, ongoing scandal involving Joe Biden, classified documentation, and the massive cover-up by A, the media, B, not in this order, probably A, it should be, the federal government, the Department of Justice, that did indeed appoint a special counsel, but has not uh, ordered the FBI to do a full-on raid and investigation and search of every Biden property. They're just trusting that the Biden uh, family attorney, or Joe Biden's personal attorney will uh, turn anything they find, or he finds, over, Sauber is his name, I think it's Richard Sauber, over to the uh, federal government. Yeah, we can trust that. His job is to represent Joe Biden. That's what an attorney does. But we expect him to turn on Joe Biden and turn in all of the classified documents he finds. Every one of them, yep. Okay. We talk about that with Peter Kersenow. If you missed either one of those interviews, they will be available to you, along with the entire show, coming up in about 1 o'clock. Usually about an hour after the show ends, it'll be available for you on the podcast page at whkradio.com. Just look for it. By the way, as long as you are talking about podcasts, uh, or I am anyway, uh, I want to remind you about two of them that I do each and every week. One of them is Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, iHeart, Apple uh, Podcasts, virtually any place you find podcasts. Jack Windsor and I talk about the latest news of the day. We uh, The latest one drops today, so you should check for that. And also, weekly, every Friday at noon, a new episode of Stand and Deliver drops. That is my uh, weekly podcast with Patrick Wood the executive director of Citizens for Free Speech, a very important organization uh, that I belong to and that I help work with uh, as the national communications director. But we talk about all of the assaults and attacks on the First Amendment on stand and deliver. So if you don't get enough of the kind of things that I talk about on a regular basis on the radio, you can do it on the podcast side with Talk and Smack and with Stand and Deliver. And as long as I'm in the business of self-promotion, which I am right now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and remind you uh, that I would greatly appreciate it if you download it and subscribe to the new streaming television network, uh, or cha- streaming channel, rather, True Blue. T-R-U-B-L-U, no E's, just T-R-U-B-L-U, True Blue. If you are interested in law enforcement, if you're interested in true crime stories, if you're interested in documentaries of true crime and uh, events that are uh, relevant to the criminal justice system and safety and security in the country, that's what the True Blue uh, factual streaming channel is all about. I am hosting a new show on that network, or on that channel. I keep calling it a network, on that streaming channel. It's called True Blue Daily with Bob France, and I would love it if you would uh, download it. It's cost four ninety nine a month. It's about a quarter of the cost of Netflix. There is a massive library of documentaries and new television original programming featuring people like Chris Hansen taking down predators with a show called Takedown, um, Sheriff David Clark, Police in the Line of Fire, Sheriff Chris Swanson, the Iron Sheriff, uh, my show in which we'll do interviews with the directors of some of these documentaries, with the police 
police officers uh, that are out there. It's a very, very, very interesting uh, uh, concept, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud to be a star, uh, part of that. My shows are not available yet. We just started shooting last week. We'll shoot more each and every week. Uh, they'll start launching probably in about a week, I would say, from now. But um, if you've thought about it, I hope you act on it. Go ahead and download True Blue on your app store, from your app store, from your Play Store, on your television, your smart TV, on your tablet, your computer, wherever you want. Uh, it's available, and uh, it is uh, it is something I'm very proud of. I hope you're a part of it. So I I did the interview with um, with uh, Josh Brown, the attorney from Columbus, in the first hour of the broadcast this morning about suing parents in Hilliard suing. Uh, the Hilliard schools, and there's a nice summary of it here, released by the Hilliard parent, uh, Hilliard parents, the plaintiffs, that I want to share with you, and I want to tie it to something. Today, several Hilliard school district parents sued the Hilliard City School District in U.S. court for the Southern District of Ohio, seeking a declaratory judgment and injunction from the court. The parents say, quote, the defendant Hilliard School District is allowing activist teachers, as opposed to trained, supervised counselors, to specifically solicit from children as long as young as six years old private intimate conversations about sexual behaviors, sexual attitudes, mental and psychological questions of the student and the student's family, and private religious practices. This is done not only without parental consent and knowledge, but the teachers are taking specific actions to hide these conversations from parents. Although perhaps well-intentioned, this is a recipe for indoctrination and child abuse. The parents are not asking for any monetary monetary damages. The parents are asking the court for a declaratory judgment that would affirm their firmly established constitutional rights to direct the upbringing of their children. Also, the parents are asking the court to enjoin, in order to stop, the district teachers from the solicitation of intimate sexual conversations from children, while affirmatively hiding those conversations from parents. In particular, the parents also seek to enjoin teachers' display and use of the I'm Here badges, which have a QR code on them that link to a website that offers, for voluntary uh, voluntary development, a video entitled Sex Acts That Don't Get Enough Play, and features the words and phrases like, words I can't probably say on the radio, referring to oral sex, digital sex, Vaginal intercourse, outer course, a couple more words here I can't and won't say, watching porn, BD, which stands for bondage and discipline, masturbation, a couple of other words I can't say, and another one I won't say. It's a big, long list. But it's on the videos that they are literally promoting on badges that teachers wear to young students. The district's legal counsel specifically and explicitly in writing refused to explain the district's policy on these matters in response to a direct written request from the plaintiffs. The plaintiffs will soon be setting up a web page which will allow other whistleblowers to come forward and for people to donate to the legal fund needed to pay for this lawsuit. It's a very, very important issue. Now, I wanted to tie that to this one. Um, which is essentially um, something that has been started by Parents' Rights or ParentalRights.org, Protecting Children by Empowering Parents. The Parental Rights Organization has introduced an amendment, in, or I'm sorry, they have supported an amendment that has been introduced in Congress. The amendment, of course, can only be introduced by 
members of Congress, but they support this and have uh, have worked with Representative Debbie Lesko uh, in Congress to introduce the Parental Rights Act. Debbie Lesko introduced into the U.S. House an amendment that would enshrine the traditional liberty of parents to direct the child's upbringing, education, and care as a fundamental right. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? So the federal lawsuit filed against Hilliard by those parents that I just told you about seeks essentially the same thing that this congressional bill uh, does, and that is to tell uh, teachers, administrators, school districts, board members, that their job is to educate children simply on matters of academia, not on personal, sexual, sexual orientation, Uh, or any other social justice type of initiatives that they are using to indoctrinate and groom children. Debbie Lesko, the Republican from Arizona, heads the Protect Kids Caucus in the House, believes protecting the traditional role of parents is key to keeping children healthy and safe. Parental rights are under attack across our nation, she says. I am pleased to have the support of ParentalRights.org in introducing this crucial amendment to the U.S. Constitution to enshrine parental fundamental rights to have a say in their children's education. I will continue to advocate for protecting children and empowering parents in Congress, end quote. See, this, and by the way, if you want to look this up for yourself, you got a browser, ParentalRights.org. ParentalRights.org is where you want to go for this. Uh, And again, it is extremely important. Will Estrada is the president of ParentalRights.org and the Parental Rights Foundation, and he declared, quote, the Supreme Court has recognized parental rights for a century, but parental rights are just too important to be left to Supreme Court precedent alone. This amendment will enshrine these traditional rights in the black and white of the Constitution, preserving that parental role for generations to come. We are honored to work with Representative Lesko to protect children by making this amendment a reality. The Supreme Court in uh, 1923, 100 years ago to the day, to the year, said that, quote, the child is not the mere creature of the state. But many of today's bureaucrats have lost sight of that. This from Jim Mason, chairman of the board for the Parental Rights Foundation. This amendment will permanently codify that precedent and restore a proper respect for the vital parent-child bond in America. This House joint resolution to introduce the amendment will receive a bill number uh, soon, and I'm not sure. I think it's going to be House Joint Resolution 99. And the text of the amendment is relatively simple. One, section one, the liberty of parents to direct the upbringing, education, and care of their children is a fundamental right. Two, the parental right to direct education includes the right to choose as an alternative to public education, private, religious, or home schools, and the right to make reasonable choices within public schools for one's child. Three, neither the United States nor any state shall infringe these rights without demonstrating its governmental interest as applied to the person is of the highest order and not otherwise served. Four, the parental rights guaranteed by this article shall not be denied or abridged on account of disability. And five, the article, this article shall not be constructed to apply to a parental action or decision that would end life. So it's a big deal. And I would suggest this to you. Uh, here's what you can do to be a part of this. You can't do too much right now for the lawsuit filed against Hilliard Schools down by Columbus. This has just been filed last night by Josh Brown. Uh, they are looking for more parents, by the way. There will be a website set up to maybe get other parents to join that lawsuit and perhaps other district parents 
to look to take legal action against their districts as well, outside of Hilliard. Because this is happening everywhere. But what you can do from the legislative side is contact your representative. I don't care who your Ohio congressman is, contact them and ask if you are if they are co-sponsors and ask them to become co-sponsors of of HJ resolution 99 parental rights bill it's extremely important that you do that email call fill up their inbox overload their uh, voicemail and tell them you want them to support the parental rights uh, uh, resolution it's very simple There's even a sample email that you can send, just to kind of fill in your name uh, and send it to uh, your representative. Uh, You can download a one-page fact sheet about what the amendment has. Uh, You can print it. You can share that online, but you should do so. All of this is available at parentalrights.org. I will, in fact, I'll I'll go ahead and put this on my Twitter page, my Twitter feed. Um, If you are on Twitter, follow me at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, Rants, R-A-N-T-Z, and I'll post this link so you can have easy access to it. And then I'll even put it on my Truth Social page, too. Follow me there at Always Write W-H-K, Always Write W-H-K, and I'll put these up for you because I think they're that important. Uh, It's in support of what's happening in the court system by way of the lawsuit, uh, to have something kind of concurrently going on in the legislative system at the um, uh, also at the federal level. All right, 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers will get you here. Let's take a call. Oh, music hit me. Music hit me before I can take a call. That's all right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do the break. We'll come back. We'll take some phone calls. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, this is your chance to get there. And we'll take you coming up on AM 1420 The Okay, 1026, let's get a couple of phone calls in here before the bottom of the hour. Still chance to take more after that. 216-901-0945. Dial up if you've got a thought on these things. Connie is in uh, Brexville. Connie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hi, Bob. Thank you very much for taking my call. I want to say, and also thank you very much for that information regarding um, the schools and, and who we can contact to make a difference. Absolutely. But I was calling because earlier you had mentioned, you know, that, the, you know, Fauci and, and other doctors are saying, um, you know, take the jab because it's going to ha- help you not get COVID and you won't die and, you know, and so forth and all the negative effects of that. But also then there was those young individuals you had mentioned that got the jab and ended up having, you know, like cardiac arrest and, and passing away. Right. I'm wondering, not, not to question your integrity, please, mm-hmm. I just don't know. Um, what information do you have to say that that's, you know, um, concrete? Evidence? We don't. We don't. And I've never said that it is concrete. Okay. Um, it, it is. Okay. And in fact, that's somebody I, brought this that's up. That's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody brought this up. I think it was on Gorka's show yesterday when I was, I don't know if it was on this show or Gorka's show yesterday, but somebody called me and, um, we talked about that, and I, and I said what I'll say now very clearly as well. What we need to do, honestly, is stop being uh, putting ourselves into the binary position of saying that every heart attack and every stroke that occurs right now is either the res- result of, A, COVID itself, 
which is what the you know the fear mongers kind of tried to tell us, or B, the COVID jab. Um, it, 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 sometimes people have strokes for different reasons. They have neither one of those uh, situations. Sometimes people have heart attacks and fall, drop dead of cardiac arrest and, and, and have these problems free of that. And I think it's a mistake for all of us to say, oh, it happened, therefore it's definitely a COVID jab, or oh, it happened, therefore it's definitely COVID itself. Uh, we need to stop being so... Um, for that. Because, you know, yeah, I you didn't know. want to say that without some, you know, facts behind. And, no, and no, without, no, you're you know, right. No, no. But what, what I have said is what we can do, though, is we can realistically, as long as we phrase it properly, we can infer that something is going on because in the era of this quote-unquote vaccine, this experimental never-before-tried-on-a-massive-population-of-humans-before mRNA gene therapy, um, it's in this two years since this started to be put into people, the number of people suffering, especially under the age of 40, cardiac events, is is some 800% higher than it was in any other previous two-year period. Uh, Kevin Sorbo, who was one of my guests yesterday, pointed that out. Uh, I didn't check his source on that, uh, and, and I'm going to, but, but he pointed that out. And whether it is 800% or whether it's some other very significant number, it is significant. And we have to say, okay, what does that mean? That's different than saying, I definitely know this is because of the jab, but it's something that should be, we should be able to say is, is asking the question, is this related to those jabs? Because it's very strange and would be very coincidental for that many people to have cardiac events who are previously healthy under the age of 40, uh, than any, any other time in, 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 you know, recorded medical history. That, that is a, I think a fair and responsible way to say it. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I truly believe that opening the door to investigation is, you know, definitely a step that should be taken, you know, and the questions should be asked for right. clarification. So people know that, guess what, that, you know, why the, did the, the real happen? The real problem, Connie, with what you and I are suggesting, though, by opening the door to investigation is that we would then assume investigations would be, uh, would be fair that the investigations would literally be seeking the truth. And I think we all know uh, that there are some individuals who would be in charge of investigations who would not bring us the truth. In the same way they lied to us about the number of COVID deaths, and they reported people who died with COVID in car crashes as having died of COVID so they could stack the numbers and continue to perpetuate the fear. I don't know if that I would trust the results of any investigations conducted by individuals who have a, a stake in this. Uh, and, and so I do want investigations to be done, but my question is, is how do we, we know we can trust those? Thank you for the call, Connie. I'll come back after the news. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 11.38. A um, little update here. <clears throat> kind of bad news, really, uh, at least temporarily. The resolution, which would be a constitutional amendment, not a bill for voting in Congress, but a constitutional amendment. That's what the resolution was, the Parental Rights Act that I talked about. That was introduced in October in the 117th Congress. This is now, of course, January, and we have started the 118th Congress. I do not know if that bill has been reintroduced or that resolution that I told you about from uh, Representative Lesko. I don't know if that has been reintroduced yet. 
I will do a little work on that. If you want to look it up yourself, you can do that too. But uh, I told you about that uh, website. It's parentalrights.org. The text of the amendment was there. And it's what you can do to help pr- promote and support this in Congress. Told you about contacting all of your congressional representatives in Ohio and do what you've got to do there, and that's important. Uh, you got 15 representatives here, and they should all hear it. But right now, I don't know if it's actually on the table in the 118th Congress. I don't know if it's been reintroduced yet. So there you go. That's important to know. The date on that was October of 22, so we are now four months past that and into the new Congress. So do do with that what you will. I will find out as much as I can and try to support that as well. Okay, Jim is in West Park. Hi, Jim. Thanks for waiting, sir. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, when you took this position over, I told you that the only time I'm going to call you is if I disagree with you or I want to add things to your program. And I do want to pile on Peter Kirstenau's tackle. Uh, uh of the tax is either wasted, stolen, or misused. The the rent for the property was $49,910. That's almost $50,000. Right. And I was listening to Gallagher when I was sleeping with one eye open from now on. That that was a (laughs) song that Flats and Scruggs did, and it was taken off the radio. They was woke way back then. But... uh, Trump Jr. uh, texted him and said that he did a Google search uh, within a thousand miles of that property, and the highest uh, rent was four thousand five hundred a month. So this is a laundry scheme uh, that's well over a half a million dollars a year. So uh, that, and I talked to a CPA out in in Berea, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't uh, illegal unless Uncle Sam says it is. So thanks for taking my call, Bob. I hope, I hope you talk about well, it. Well, I will, and I'll say and thank you, Jim, for the call. Um, money laundering is illegal. Uh, Uncle Sam has already said so, meaning it is already a federal law. Money laundering is illegal. It's punishable by a very, very long prison sentence. We have to prove that it was money laundering before that can be a, a factor, however. To your point, Peter did that did that check too, and he said the the what you found the highest you found was four thousand. I think Pete found, um, and I I don't know if maybe he expanded his search outside of Wilmington a little further. I don't know, but he said that the market value for a place like that in a place like that on a beach like that with the size of the place and blah 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 was about seven thousand dollars a month which is still extraordinary i don't know anybody who can afford to live in a seven thousand dollar a month uh apartment or home i just don't i don't know anybody who can pay that i know people do in new york city for high-rise penthouses and so on and so forth but i don't know anybody who can do that but the fact that hunter biden says he could pay not only that seven thousand dollars a month but pay that seven times over, right? Seven thousand times seven would be forty nine thousand. If my math is right, seven times more than that. And he was an unemployed, drug addicted, uh, derelict who's getting his money from somebody somewhere. Now we know that he shopped his services around to uh, Ukrainian energy companies and to Chinese energy companies, even though he had no expertise in either energy. Or Ukraine. 
didn't speak the language, didn't know a damn thing about what, what uh, Burisma did, but suddenly he was on the board, and he was the well uh, well over the highest-paid board member on that board, did the same thing with Chinese companies, and we're thinking, wait a second, how on earth are these companies in these foreign countries giving this guy all of this money? And we all know the reason, because access to the Obama White House by way of the Biden vice presidency, access. That's the only way he could come up with that kind of money. And then once he left those positions, the question becomes, now what's he doing for money to make $50,000 a month rent payments? What did he sell to people? It's not an accusation. It's a question. What did he sell, perhaps, to these bad actors who do not necessarily have the United States' best interest at heart? What did he sell them? I don't know. The fact that he was in a garage, in a home, in which classified documents were left stashed, stored, or forgotten about, Lord only knows, by his father. How do we know what he took? How do we know what he sold? How do we know where these payments came from? And moreover, if there was any truth to the 10% for the big guy outlined in emails upon the Biden crime family laptop that was verified by Tony Bobolinsky, one of the business partners who worked with Jim Biden and Hunter Biden, If 10% to the big guy uh, was being paid, Biden would have to account for where that money came from. As I said to Peter Kersenow, it can't say from Hunter by way of Ukraine or China, but it could say rent. Just paid me rent, that's all. 50 grand a a month. That's that's what a father would typically charge his son for rent in a place that he owns, right? There's, yeah, Jim, I agree with you. Money laundering is absolutely, I think, the way to look here. Thanks to everybody for listening today. I appreciate you. I appreciate the team. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.